boys? Yeah. Got any uh, white bread? Yes. I'll have some toasted white bread, please. Come on, butter jam on that toast, honey. No, ma'am. Dry. Got any fried chicken? Best damn chicken in the state. Bring me four fried chickens and a coke. You want chicken wings or chicken legs? Four fried chickens and a coke. My movie's better. Road trip. Hi, Patrick Parker. I'm sorry that it took so long for this new episode to come out. I know you've been <laughs> anticipating and yeah. very patient has with he us. Been, has he been calling you? Uh, only once every 20 minutes. <laughs> Good. Uh, so I'm Russell. I'm Kevin. And this is My Movies Better. Uh, we pick a new theme every week. And then I bring a movie to the table. And Kevin brings a movie to the yes. table. And then you bring a movie to the table. And then we just watch all of them and debate it. Uh, if you're new to the podcast, you can support us by following us on Snapchat, Instagram, Twitter, all at My Movies Better, Facebook. Facebook.com yeah. slash My Movies Better. There's a group on that Facebook. Uh, and this week's theme is road movies. So enjoy it. Let's hit the road, Jack. Don't come back no more. <laughs> <laughs> We still don't care. Anytime, anywhere. Tell him, Hawk. Well, David Crockett, what makes the difference to us is beating people up and being the best. The Legion of Doom. Like it or leave it. felons, power drinkers, and trustees of modern chemistry. It's going to change. And that sure sounds good. A lot of the guys that come in here, we can't handle one-on-one. Even two-on-one. Don't worry about it. All you have to do is follow three simple rules. One, never underestimate your opponent. Two, take it outside. Never start anything inside the bar. And three, be nice. Come on. If somebody gets in your face and calls you a cocksucker, I want you to be nice. Como una promesa, eres tú, eres tú.
Your film this week is the 2015 Australian-American post-apocalyptic action film Mad Max Fury Road. It is available on Amazon Prime, YouTube, and iTunes for $2.99 and $3.99. You can also find it on Vudu and Google Play. Mad Max Fury Road. Mad Max. Yeah. So Mad Max was directed by George Miller, who also directed all of the Mad Max films. That's George Miller. Yes. And it starred, among others, Tom Hardy, Mm -hmm. Charlize Theron, Hugh Kane's Brian. Sorry sorry about that, Hugh. Uh, And Nicholas Holt, who we also covered in the film Warm Bodies. Um, This film pumped me the fuck up. Every time I see it, I get, like, wicked pumped. Yeah. And that actually, the day that I watched it recently, I actually had to go drive to Attleboro after I watched it. And mm-hmm. on the highway, I was like, fucking Fury Road, Fury Road. I was, like, so pumped the whole time. Uh, when I was looking up uh, ways to buy it or watch it, mm-hmm. Amazon was the place I had to pay to see it. And one of the first reviews was, I just finished this movie, and I have to write the review like this. It was all caps lock. Yep. Caps lock with, like, 20 exclamation points. <laughs> Yes, it's very rare nowadays to have an action movie that is this good. Yeah. Um, I actually, while I was watching it, I even said I might even give this a hundred score. I don't know. If, oh my god. I don't know if that's. I I did come across some stuff that made me maybe kick that down a little bit, but um, I really enjoy this movie. It's uh, it definitely kicks you right in the face, and it doesn't give you any time to think about what's going on. Mm-hmm. Which can also be detrimental because there's no exposition. So it's just like, oh, okay, a Morton Joe, the bad guy has like wives and, and a yeah. bunch of war boys who Also are... I'm Tom Hardy now, I'm not Mel Gibson <laughs> anymore. Yeah. Just yeah, accept that. Mad Max is a different person. Um and there's some other stuff more in inside of the story that I kinda have problems with. 
but it really doesn't matter because the movie is just so good it's so enjoyable to watch yeah and the whole time i feel like i'm just like like i said i'm pumped up by the movie it like makes me like really excited when i'm watching it and so uh, that's it then that's the end of the episode that's, <laughs> that's the end of the episode yes <laughs> i already know who you picked uh maybe You'll no, you see. You'll you see. Tell no. me you want to give it a hundred, and then tell me maybe it won. Well, it, maybe it won, I right. It won. Maybe it won. I gave another film or another two films a high score that's comparable oh, to like it. Like a hundred and one, hundred two. Yeah. Well, maybe not that. Yeah, exactly. We'll see. We'll see when we get to the verdict at the very end of the episode. But um, yeah. So, what did you think about the Fury Road? It's one of my favorite movies of all time. Yeah. Yeah. Now you didn't watch it recently, though. Uh, no, I st- I watched like seventy five percent of it recently. Okay. Oh, right, right, right. Um, but I didn't need to because I saw it so many times. Yeah, yeah. Fantastic. What would you say is your like favorite part of the movie? Um, when your boy from Warm Bodies mm-hmm. uh, realizes that the guy he's been treating like a god and he's been trying to get the attention of the whole time, he realizes the guy does not give two shits about him, right. and how he kind of snaps from there. Yeah, that's Pretty a good. good. I I liked his character in it. Nux, I think, is mm-hmm. his name. Um, and the the scene where he like where they're first going out, and he like him and the other dude drive up ahead, and he like pulls the steering wheel off and holds it up in the air. Like I yeah. loved how you know how they represented his character, but I did kind of have a problem with how like when when he gets to the war rig and the one of the wives finds him, she's just immediately like. Oh, you're you're harmless now. And it's like that dude was just trying to kill you five minutes ago. Right. He literally works for a Morton Joe. Like, why are you so calm? Um, I think the uh my favorite part of the movie is the when is the fight scene once they or I guess you call it once they get to the, like the canyon and mm-hmm. they're the, the, the dudes on the dirt bikes and shit. Oh, that yeah. part is amazing. The action there is the, so good. The big chase scene with the guy with the guitar and mm-hmm. the flames and mm-hmm. that. Yep. Yeah, it just as an action movie, it like hit it like checks off all of the action movie boxes. That, yeah. You know, it has g- great CGI and great practical effects. Um, it's exciting and heart pounding, and the action just keeps coming. Like it, it is, and it that to me like is how it fits into the rest of the Mad Max films. Cause that's, I watched Mad Max, the first Mad Max like a week ago. Yeah. And the whole movie is, is car and chases. And you skipped the, the second one and, and the no, third one. No, I, I haven't, I mean, I've seen them, but I haven't no, watched saying, them recently. You, you didn't need to watch those two. Right? <laughs> no. Okay. Sure. Um, so I do think the road warrior, the second film is the best one, even including really. One. Yeah. That's my favorite one. Okay. The wood Lord I'm humongous, not... the Ayatollah of rock and roll. Yeah, I'm not gonna. Uh, we're not gonna get into it. <laughs> you know, you're entitled to your wrong opinion. Mm. Oh. Uh, <laughs> uh, so, where in this movie? Because at some point, this movie it becomes very clear that this is not Mad Max's story. That this is a very feminist-driven, like yeah. women are powerful. Charlize Theron is the main character of this movie. Oh yeah. When, when did you catch that? Like, when did you realize that? Oh, I'm not watching. I'm watching a Charlie's Charlie Charlie's Theron movie. Um. Well, honestly, early on, it kind of felt like that, just because, like, I mean, the movie is framed by Max. Obviously, at the very beginning of the film, it's yeah. you know, Max is the first character you see. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, it's it's weird because like, 
I think there's so much about his character that actually like detracts from parts of the movie, like the whole the whole thing where he keeps seeing the the kid, right? Who looks nothing like the kid from Mad Max, but whatever. Um, it it's it because it never resolves. It's just kind of like, oh, okay. Literally, all he had to do was crawl out of the car and be like, I live with the ghosts of my past like that line that he says in the movie when when he gets captured at the beginning that's literally all they had to do they didn't need to show that he kept having hallucinations of this kid because it was like it was obvious that this was the next part of that and there's another part sorry there's another part later where he act he's going through all this and then he's about to abandon all these people to their to their fate and it's like well wait a minute dude there's another group of ghosts you're about to add to your fucking hallucinations Right. What the fuck? <laughs> I think one of the reasons that might have been left open-ended was because I think this is definitely supposed to be her movie. It's her story. Mm-hmm. In the same vein that Avengers, the last Avengers movie they put out, Infinity War, was like, it's Thanos' movie. It's yeah, about him. yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, I think that this is this was supposed to set up another film. Oh, definitely. That would lead to, like, it's her story now so that they both bring something to the table in the next movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think that she is the strongest probably the strongest actor in the film. I really like uh, Morton Joe as a character. Um, I think Tom Hardy does an okay job, but it's also kind of like Tom Hardy's hard to understand has become like a thing in yeah. movies ever since Bane. And it, this one, I couldn't understand him a lot. I liked his voice. I thought it was cool, mm. but it didn't sound anything like Mel. I don't know if he was doing that. It probably was a, a choice on his part, so that's fine. But um, Yeah, it wasn't he, xenophobic enough. <laughs> right yeah it did it, it wasn't anti-semitic enough uh yeah. to be mel gibson but i i also think that um mad Ma- mad max is like detracts so much from stuff in this movie which is the weirdest thing about it is that he's the title character but like you said he's not really the main character but at points it like goes back to like no no he is the main character like so it's a little bit can i think the movie is a little bit confused at at in that at who it's supposed to be about but I did really like how, in the end, it's not just like, oh, him and Furiosa, well, they're going to get together and rule the fucking Citadel or whatever. It was right. like, no, he goes on his way. Mm-hmm. Though I will say it was kind of weird that like they, they drive onto that platform and he's in the car. And the next cut is them all outside on the platform and him like walking away into the crowd. And I'm like, how did he... When did, how did they not see him leave? He must have opened the door and like got off the platform. <laughs> and they're like, oh, where's Max? It's like... Yeah. <laughs> but, uh... So yeah, I think I think that Furiosa is one of my favorite characters, like in movies. Yeah, um, and I'm I'm one of the few people who only likes her in like very few things. Yeah, I'm like about monster. Mm, I'm um, like fifty fifty with her. Yeah, Furiosa is awesome, and I've only heard good things about Atomic Blonde. I haven't seen it yet. Yeah, I haven't seen that either. But uh, outside of that, I don't. She's usually irks me. So I, I she was easily the the coolest character and the, oh, the yeah. best part of this movie. Oh yeah. Um, I also think like. I wrote down so like the first some of the first notes that I made on it were like color a hundred percent, SFX hundred percent, fucking camera work a hundred percent. Like mm-hmm. there's just so much soundtrack. And, soundtrack exactly. Uh, action obviously. They even do a thing that's usually something I hate when movies do this because usually it's something that bad movies do. Mm-hmm. They call it overclocking the camera, right. so it looks like everything looks fa- it's fast motion basically, but it's because you're getting more frames in. So yeah. like there's a in the scene where he at the beginning where he's trying to escape from the war boys, mm-hmm. they like it's sped up just a little bit and it creates this like 
That's okay. We just keep this. No, I know. Yeah, he's a he's a character on the show. That's yeah, he is. He's a member. But yeah, so they they overclock it just enough, and he cut. He does this thing where he uh, cut out like scenes, so it almost feels like things don't aren't like leading together in this action sequence, and you don't notice that. Um, it's subconscious. You know what I mean. So that was really cool. I also really love. Uh, this is something that was pointed out in a review I saw. I didn't even notice this. The whole fucking movie, everything is is in the center of the camera. It is so amazing. I wa- they, he, the, the person on this video like outlined how they did it. And, like, every single subject is ev- the center. Yes. Point. That's what you're mean. supposed to be looking at is always in the center of the camera. So in the center, yeah, center of the screen. So you're you almost don't have to move your eyes. You catch more of the action because it's put right where it needs to be. That's There's not sick. stuff on the outsides is more like borders for what's happening in the center. They do do a lot of panning shots too, from like left to right. Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking like maybe when they do that, it lands on the new subject. The subject is in the middle. Of the right. Movie. That's right. pretty cool. I'll have to look over it again. Yeah, definitely. Uh, I actually knew what I did. Mm-hmm. I didn't even mention this at all. I watched the black and silver. Oh really? Yeah, I, I've seen the original obviously like a bunch of times, like the way it was. I saw it in, in like 3D or 4D when I watched it mm-hmm. in theaters, but I, I saw it. Um, the normal way every single time and I saw that it was available and I was like this actually might give it new character it was really cool yeah I, it is really awesome to watch it in like a black and white kind of right thing. it's right really I, I've never seen that I've seen um uh like images from it and stuff and it looks really cool I definitely mm-hmm. want to check it out um but I think just the, the color in the film itself is amazing the like it's like this earthy red yeah, almost like clay sort of Utah. color yeah and arizona and it's funny because like i saw a behind the scenes featurette and like you it showed some of the stuff of like the principal shooting before they cgi'd it and it was like it looks like the original mad max where it's like the yeah. sky's too blue the sand's too uh yellow you know and right. and so they definitely did a really good job of that i also think a lot of times people talk up this movie like it it has a ton of practical effects it does have some but it's mostly cgi the oh, yeah. fact that people don't realize that is how good the CGI is. It's right. And and they built like I watched the feature on all the cars and shit. They built all these vehicles. They actually built three war rigs. The you know the the truck they're driving in for the movie so they could shoot, you know, in different oh. locations, shoot it with the actors or just to get like wide shots of it and stuff. Oh, yeah. So they went really all out in trying to, you know, get to hit all of the bases on this. Yeah. I think a lot of it has to do with just having the guy who created Mad Max at the helm of the movie, you yeah. know, George Miller really like, he loves this story. He created the whole thing. Right. So if anyone else had directed it, I don't think it would have been nearly as good. And it goes to show you like what potential the originals had, if he had this kind of, uh, creative right. outlet and money. Well, I will say, like I mentioned, I watched Mad Max. The Mad- first one, not the yeah. second one. Mad Max, yeah, okay. Yeah, wait, there's Mad Max, there's the Road Warrior, there's Mad Max 2 Beyond Thunderdome, and there's Mad, which is not even the second movie, but whatever. And then there's this film. Yeah. So, in the, but in the first film, there is awesome, awesome car stunts. Like, yeah. like, um, and I was, what I bl- watch it for. Right, exactly. The rest of the movie is kind of hard to watch. Like, it's, it doesn't even, it's not, it's because it's so still so close to the end of the world or whatever you want to call it. Mm-hmm. And it hasn't quite gone to the levels that everybody remembers from the second two films. Which, which Mad Max Mel Gibson movie did he like go full on like uh, glam rock hair where his hair was like just feathery and long and pushed back. I think that was Thunderdome. I'm going to do that. I'm going to grow my hair. <laughs> nice. Right 
I'm pretty yes, I'm pretty sure that was Thunderdome. It might have been Road Warrior, but I think I'm pretty sure Road Warrior he still had the short hair. Yeah, quote me that quote quote me on this for uh next Halloween. Okay. Um I also think that like one of the other things that I think is really important and another one of my favorite scenes is that the opening of Morton Joe scene with the water. I think it really It's fucking epic. Oh yeah, and it really sets up the whole world. Yeah. Because I do think a detraction on the film is that it doesn't tell you enough of what's going on. That's honestly one of the few scenes too that you can tell a little bit that there was CGI. Right. Right. Just based on how like there was probably like 100 people, but there was like thousands of people watching. Yeah. I would say, yeah. You know I mean, like it was clearly like they just copied and pasted like a, a wrestling audience in a video game. <laughs> exactly. Um, but I also think like some of the things I didn't like about the movie, there's three times in the film where you have a like fade to slash cut to black. Yeah. Like it, like it's a TV show. And it's, I was like, it's separating chapters. Yeah. And the fact that he doesn't use it a lot means that it's kind of weird that it only happens three times. Like I've seen plenty of movies where they do like blackouts, but it happens a lot in the film. So it, you, you're aware of it. If you just do it once, it's like, why the hell did you do that? That's stupid. Yeah, the rest of the film. Doesn't like, all the time. Right. He'll do like a, a noise too. Like right. Like an instrument strum, like for each one. Right, and I think that, again, like I just said, too, it also, because nothing's explained, I literally kept going on, like, Wikia articles about the characters. Because, like, they're talking about Immortan Joe and the People Eater and the Bullet Farm dude. Like, you should know what the hell's going on. And I'm like, but I, there is no movie that this is based on. There is, like, I don't know if there's, like, a comic book that explains, like, the backstory or something. Because I just read it on a Wikipedia article that was like, this is who Immortan Joe was, this is what happened, this is yeah. why the whole who killed the world thing, you killed the world. Like, they don't explain any of that, and that's kind of not a good thing about the movie. Because it, it, ma- it kept making me, like, frustrated. and be like, well, I want to know more. And so I guess that's a good thing, because it makes you want to, like, actively seek it out. Or... Honestly, it would be really dope if movies uh, used in the sense that the latest Blade Runner... The latest. The late, yeah, 2049. Yeah. The second Blade mm-hmm. um, The way that they utilized YouTube to do short films. They did a short film about Jared Leto's character. Right, One about right. uh, Dave Bautista's character. Um, how easily a movie like Fury Road could have done animated shorts to kind of cover the backstories leading into the yep. movie. Yep. Or, or even anything. after the movie came yeah. out, do it now. Exactly. And then people could go in and make a super cut where they fill those spots in. Right, exactly. Half animated. Yeah, because, but I mean, because I will say it's kind of like a scales thing. It's like, on one hand, I'm frustrated because I, I want to know more. Mm-hmm. But that at the same time, I'm actively going out and searching for it, which means I'm still enjoying the movie enough. I don't think it takes right. away enough from the movie to... Like, you don't need to watch the Clone Wars cartoons for to, to no. appreciate Star Wars. No. I don't. No. I think it's a pretty <laughs> boring show. Um, but yeah, I, yeah. I, I guess that's... All yeah, I had to say about Mad Max, it's one of the best movies ever made. Yeah, I agree. I think... One of those things like It, where like the newer version was just, to me, like blew the originals out oh, of the yeah. water. Oh, yeah. Well, I think this one also, it builds so much on the originals. It takes from all of those original movies and really, like, honestly, out of the, because what was this? This was, I think, 2015? Somewhere yeah, around there? Yeah. Um, I think out of the past, maybe even like going on like 20 years mm. it's one of the best movies and definitely the best action movie like it 
when I watch even like Marvel movies, I don't think they're as good action movies as this movie is. Yeah, I can see. They're that. they're good for different reasons. Right. You know, they're still great action movies too. But they're like I put it right like this movie just there's the action in it is just as good as everything else, if not better. And and like so when people watch like movies like Transformers and shit, like it's that's all CGI. And to me, yeah. that's not as cool as what they did in this movie. So right. Um, I would say for action movies, I like The Dark Knight. Yeah, that's that's another one that's up there, definitely. Because I think they did a lot of the same things. They tried. And I love to... all the John Wick movie stuff. Like I love right, right. movies that do shit like that. But I would say, yeah, this is probably one of the cooler action movies. All right. I'm not a big. You know, it's wicked, wicked funny. I'm not like a super action movie guy. Yeah, see, I. But I, I do I, love uh, it when when it it's on point. Yeah. Like John Wick, Die I, Hard. I always yeah. My dad was so I grew up like a huge action movie guy. <laughs> Yippee kayak on the boxes. <laughs> Yippee kayak, Mister Falcon. What? That's not what other, other truckers. Other no. No, I know there's one in in Die Hard two on the on TV the TV edit. It was Yippee kayak, Mister Falcon, because <laughs> that was like the bad guy's code name or something. Ah. <laughs> uh. Yeah. Um, we might have to do a whole episode dedicated to the funniest ad-libs to replace the swears. Oh, like in, yeah. Uh, the Big Lebowski. Yeah. This is what happens when you find a stranger in the Alps. <laughs> I'm pre- yeah, I'm pretty sure there's like a whole Reddit de- just that's dedicated to those. Yeah. I'm going to find that. Give me one second. I said, I posted a screenshot of my conversation about Die Hard. Mm. And it's a quote from... Brooklyn Nine-Nine. Oh, there's, yeah, yeah. There's a whole episode. He's Because the main character is obsessed with Die Hard. It's like his favorite movie. He's obsessed with the building that it takes place in and everything. Mm, um, the Fox building. Yeah. And then Angeles. his partner broke the ceiling and stopped the bad guy. And he said, he said, yippee kayak, other buckets. Because <laughs> he thought that's what the words were. Right. Maybe. Beautiful. So, yeah, after that tangent, I guess uh, that's Fury Road. And so on to the next one. movie this week is the 1984 British road crime film, The Hit. It is available almost nowhere. Sorry. Um, The best way you can get it is through the Criterion Collection. So if you want to sign up to be a charter subscriber to the Criterion Collection, they're doing that right now. 
Uh, it was available on Filmstruck, but that's dead. I watched it on Daily Motion for free because I'm an asshole. That's okay. If you really want to see it, you can get it on Daily Motion. South Norwood? Yes, sir. And would it be true to say, Mr. Parker, that for a good many years now you have made your living solely as a hardened professional criminal? Yes, sir. I regret to say. Afternoon of the 23rd of September 1971, Parker's Bank Branch in Beavers Road, East Dulwich. You participated in that raid, Mr. Parker? Yes, sir. And who were your confederates on that occasion? Uh, Hopwood. Reardon, Fellers, Mr. Corrigan. Who did what? What? Uh, oh, uh, I stayed with the car, and uh, Lenny, Jimmy, and Jeff went in the bank. And Corrigan? He got the money. All of it? No. You shared it up, didn't you? Yeah. But Corrigan got the lion's share. Right. Because he was the mastermind behind the operation. Yeah. See, Mr. Corrigan... Yeah. Mastermind. Morning of the 25th of October, 1972, in the Securicor van in Peckham High Road. A guard was wounded. You took part? Yes, sir. And Reardon, Fellows, and Mr. Corrigan. Not Hopwood? No, sir. I think... I think Lenny had flu that day. <laughs> or cold feet. <laughs> Who fired at the guard? Uh, that was Reardon. Finally, Mr Parker, I will ask you this. In agreeing to give your evidence, have you been influenced by any promises of immunity from prosecution? or special treatment at the hands of the police or of the court? No, sir. I'm here and I'm saying this because I think I should. I think it's right. Very well, Parker, you may stand down. Thank you, my lord. We'll meet again
All right, so the hit is, was directed by Stephen Frears, and it starred John Hurt, Terrence Stamp, uh, La- Laura Del Sol, and Tim Roth. And uh, very young Tim Roth, and in fact, he won an Evening Standard Award for his role in this film as the apprentice hitman. So, Russ, what did you think about the hit? Uh, I thought it was uh, one of your best. This is old. Yeah. Movies. <laughs> Usually, when you hit me with one of those, it's like, but the cinematography and and, everything. and I'm like, I'm, I like said this earlier in a conversation outside of recording. I said I like things to be, like, talk to me like I'm I'm an idiot for a second and show me something like I'm an idiot. Can I digest this? And I I don't know, man. This was like it was just so good. Yeah. And I love that. Like the whole time, I felt like, oh, he knows something we don't. Then we never find out what it was because it doesn't. He just gets. You know, well, you mean you mean the main character, yeah, Terrence? He just yeah, gets, uh, what's his name? Um, he's the man, uh, Terrence Stamp. Yeah, yeah, he played. What, what was the movie he was? Oh, he's been more in recently. Some of stuff. He's been in something like. Um, I know recently. Well, he was in that movie about where Tom Cruise tried to kill Hitler, Valkyrie. Excuse me. Yeah, you never seen Valkyrie? <laughs> no, it's interesting. He's a plays a Tom Cruise plays a Nazi. General, it's a true story. These guys who tried to kill Hitler with a bomb uh, were part of like the German military, and Terrence Stamp was one of them. I forget who he played in it, but I know he's been in other stuff recently too. What's funny is that him and Malcolm McDowell, who we saw last week in Time After Time, uh, they actually look really similar now. Now that Malcolm McDowell has white hair, yeah, it's true. (laughs) Um, so I actually this. There were when we started this, there were two movies that I that inspired me when we were thinking about coming up with this podcast. The first of those movies was what we covered it one of them that we covered in the first episode, Aguerre, The Wrath of God. Second mm-hmm. was the hit. This is one of my favorite movies ever. I lo- the first time I saw it, I was like, I want to be Mr. Braddock's John Hurt. That guy is so cool. Tim Roth is so cool. Like everything about it was just like it got me. Oh, I thought Tim Roth was a total little fuckboy in this movie. He is a little bit of a fuckboy. But, but I didn't know it was him. I didn't realize yeah. it was him for like a good like first half hour of it with the sunglasses on. Yep, yep. And the way he kept on referring to uh, the main hitman as Mr. What's his Mr. name? Mr. Braddock. Mr. Braddock, yeah. The way he talked, it just didn't remind me. Right. I didn't think of it. And this is like his, like what, his breakthrough, right? This was like his. Pretty much, yeah. This was like, yeah, because I mean, Reservoir Dogs is like 10 years after this, yeah. I think. It's like and then his cameo in... Um, Ah, oh, Uma Thurman, um, the, the like the the pinnacle Pulp Fiction. Oh, oh yeah, 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 exactly. He was like one of the people robbing the restaurant. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Eddie, yeah, the, he's also the, the bad um, guy in the Funny Bunny, Pumpkin and Honey Bunny. Yeah, the <laughs> MCU Hulk movie that people pretend don't yes. exist. Yes, well, that was the uh, it was Abomination. Ed Edward Norton mm-hmm. one. Yeah, yeah, I love this movie because I really like road movies in general. I think they're it's a it's a cool. Uh, style of film and it's an easy way to like tell a story in a film um obviously like a, another great example of a one of the first ones i ever saw was planes trains and automobiles mm-hmm. um but this movie takes a spin on like the crime story that i think is really interesting right and i love how like the whole movie is basically terrence stamp is like trying to like play these two guys off each other right 
And I think to get out of getting killed, I think even though he acts like he, I mean, because it's hard to tell because he acts throughout the whole thing like he accepts the death that's coming. But at the same time, is definitely like, I don't know. It's like he's just messing (laughs) with it. No, he knew something was up that we never got to. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. Because even when he's got the gun to his head, he goes, wait, wait, wait till we have have to wait. We have to wait till we get to. We have to finish the trip, you know. Yeah, I think that that's definitely something you can you can debate because there's also the scene where Tim Roth falls asleep when the other two leave mm-hmm. and he comes back and the gun is still sitting right on his chest while he's sleeping and he goes and finds him. He's just standing there like looking at a waterfall like he, right. like he could have done something. He could have at least taken the gun and like got away or waited yeah. and ambushed them. But it's like he's it's like he's accepted it. But I think he's. I think what the the point of his death scene when he freaks out like that is that he like needs the closure of standing in front of Mister Corrigan, you know, the guy who wants to kill him, mm-hmm. and accepting his fate completely. And he's like, no, 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 I'm not. We haven't. I haven't completely accepted my fate yet. Right. So you're. And, and I loved how that because the movie itself is like, it's like fun mm-hmm. in a way that a movie about hitmen shouldn't be. Yeah. You know. And I really think the only one that really, the only other movie that is prominently about hitmen that does that really well is Pulp Fiction, where you're like, I'm having fun, but these characters are obviously like dangerous people. Right. Um, I like that because usually, like you you referenced planes, trains, and automobiles. mm -hmm. I think of movies like The Trip. I think of, uh, what is the, there's Road Trip. Yeah, Road Trip, Euro Trip. Mm -hmm. There's the Vacation movies. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, all these movies that usually are like, let's get behind the wheel and get somewhere. Right. It's like constantly throwing curveballs at them. And it's so much easier to write that story when the person's like on a trip. Right. It's so much easier to be like, well, here's a literal bump <laughs> in the road. You know what I mean? Like, oh, you ran out of gas. Oh, you. The, right. You ran you into you a crazy guy. Oh, right. there's been an accident. <clears throat> oh, you've been abandoned in the middle of nowhere. Mm-hmm. Uh, the two main characters can't stand each other and they walk off, but they both have to get somewhere and they need each other to get there. Right, right. There's so many plot devices like that that are used, like or tropes, if you will, that are used in these types of movies that have never been. And I wouldn't say never. I'm sure plenty of people have done it, but it's way more cool to see it done in this kind of tone and so right. this is a this is one of those movies but like at the end of it i'm going to kill you and it's not a comedy it's not even it's not even a little bit dry in comedy right right i loved the the not knowing what even by the end of the movie what was really going on like even the 15 year old girl who is blatantly in her 20s and, and is revealed later to know yeah the some she, shit and she's she, not a teenager she's not a teenager she yeah. is up to something and the uh mr braddock knows that whoever she is associated with could kill him and have him killed and so he won't hurt her right but it's we also, never figure out why that's happening <laughs> well i think it's also supposed to be like he's like the hitman who's slipping like yeah. he thinks that he's like he's seen he's so becoming much human right right but he's seen so much and he's been through so much that like to him this is just procedural you know right. i think like at the beginning where he they try to kill the dudes who kidnapped uh turn stamp for them and with the bomb like, yeah, he's so matter of fact about everything. But as the movie goes on, it's almost like I think that like not only Terrence Stamp's character, but also Tim Roth, Myron, they're affecting how he sees the world. And then they, they meet up with Laura Del Sol and that gets even further because like almost immediately after they grab her, he there's the scene where he goes back and he kills that Australian dude that she was with. Rat on. Right. Yeah. He's literally on the phone. Mm-hmm. And uh 
he he brings her like out to kill her and then just doesn't like and then sits there like thinking about it so i think it was supposed to be like he's starting to question whether or not he should do this but he's not and and myron is doing the same thing just mm -hmm. at a much more obvious level because he's like the young unexperienced guy yeah he just doesn't see the need in killing a young girl even right. if she's a witness right well there's even one of my favorite won't tell she won't tell anybody mr braddock mr braddock one of my favorite lines in the movie is when uh it's right before the scene where they're like in the woods and and terrence stampin and john hurt have like a conversation and mm -hmm. he's like hey i remember you know you i met you years ago right before that the three other three are in the car and tim roth's like you know, like, I'm pretty, don't worry, I have a feeling about this. Like, you're going to be okay. I, I don't know about you, though. Like, to Terrence Stamp, and it's just the way he says it is so perfect. It's like, it shows exactly how immature the character is, even more than, like, the other immature shit he does in the movie, like, where he gets in the fight with the dudes getting the beers and shit. Like, right. and, and it's like, he still hasn't fully grasped what's going to happen. And even in the end, like, when Mr. Bragg's like, don't worry, I'll take care of it for you. I'll kill them for you. Mm-hmm. And he's like, thank you. Like, he knows that this is a possibility. Yeah. But he's still not ready to actually do it. And he's like, am I still going to get paid? You know, even though right. I didn't do anything, basically. So, I and, I mean, I really, really enjoy this movie. It's one of those movies I can just sit down and watch. Like, there's, like, probably, like, five or ten films like that that I, and that I can literally just at any point put it on, even, like, at a different point in the movie. I just like watching. I feel like every scene is really strong. Were any of the actors involved in this movie like a big deal at this point? Yes, Ten, uh, Jen, uh, blah, blah, blah. oh my god, John, Terrence Stamp and uh, John okay. Hurt. I was gonna say because it feels like they could have made this movie on a very, 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 very tight budget. I think they did. I'm pretty because sure. it's very. It seems pretty easy. A lot of the locations there wasn't a lot of like uh, buildings around. Like no. there was the one scene in the apartment, but it's mostly in a car in the middle of like nature. Yeah. It's exactly. like mostly desert, and and for something like you don't need a license to like be filming in the desert. I mean, you do, but who the fuck's gonna right. bother you in the desert? Yeah, it doesn't say on here um, how much it was made for. I mean, it made box office. It made under a million dollars. It was it virtually ignored. Um, but I, it's a, it's also a film that like obviously it's it's Criterion Collection, and anytime films are like that, there's usually some reason for it, like it's special in some way or whatever. A lot of times they're, I think, like cult films like this. But I know for a fact, uh, I actually saw an article I read. Christopher Nolan considers this one of his top, like, five films of all time wow. that he just loves. He thinks it's amazing. Yeah, a lot of, I've heard a lot of directors really like it. It's like a movie that director, some directors say, like, is a movie you should watch if you want to learn how to make a movie. Has the director done anything big since this? Um, He has. I mean, he's known... Stephen Furs was known for, oh, what was it? Um, Dangerous Liaisons. Mm -hmm. And he also did High Fidelity. Most, oh, okay. Yes, but most recently, probably his biggest film was The Queen. All right. Yeah, so definitely, he's very, and he's so very he's good. very good at being, like, story-driven and not totally. relying totally on, like, the action and the, right, right. the, the distractions of the plot. Exactly, exactly. Definitely a, like, dialogue-driven director i think mm -hmm. and i think like there's a lot in this movie that i don't know it makes you really like think about uh you know human interaction and shit like that but i think the most i mean this movie is about death and like what it means 
I think honestly, like what it means to die. And so you're kind of going on this trip with, with Terrence as he realizes, you know, as he tries to come to grips with the obvious. And, you know, even though the, one of the first scenes they have with him is him being like, when Tim Ross like, why are you smiling? And he's like, he think, you think I don't know what's happening? Like, I've been waiting 10 years, knowing that eventually this was going to happen. That, like, one day, someone would come find me and come try to kill me. Right. Like, so I'm not, I've accepted that that was a, the outcome of my life now, you know? And so I think that it's interesting to kind of go down this journey with him as he, as he, like, because, it, it, again, like we mentioned it earlier, like, I think you can really debate, like, what he's trying to achieve by what he does in the film. It can be seen, in one hand, that he's trying to, like, escape. Mm-hmm. It could also be looked at that he's trying, he's, like, he's reaching this, like, cr- you know, for lack of a better word, Christ-like status in his mind because he's accepted his own death. So he's trying to, like, impart wisdom on these other people in a right. way. And, like, show them the light. And that's affecting Mr. Braddock, who's used to people being like, please don't kill me, please don't kill me. And this guy's just like, whatever. And he's like, I respect this guy. It's hard. It's going to be hard for me to kill him. And the movie never tells you that. I think it shows you that a little bit. But and I, I, that's just what I always got away from it. That that's why he's acting so weird is because he's never come across someone who is like this before, who's, like, serene in, in the face of their own death. So... <laughs> yeah <clears throat> also another interesting thing i'll add and that's basically the last thing i have to say is uh so eric clapton did the uh theme song for it yeah did you think it sounded a little bit like pink floyd <laughs> like a little bit because uh, it was roger waters was also on that track okay that makes sense yeah <laughs> and i right, yeah, found yeah, that yeah. out today when I was searching for it to grab a little His name bit. doesn't pop up in the opening. No, I thought that was a little interesting. Yeah, it was yeah. like Eric Clapton theme song. And I was like, when I found that out, I was like, oh, man, that sucks for Roger Waters. <laughs> Maybe they thought. if like his like modern stuff was like, in, like, not modern, but more modern. Yeah, yeah, yeah. made into like a movie like that. Like Tears in Heaven. Like, well, yeah, actually, that was right. This would have been right around Tears in Heaven. Yeah. That was mid 80s, I'm pretty sure. Tears in Heaven. I can't. I honestly. No, that was like, it had to have been the 90s. Maybe it was, maybe it was the 90s. 90s. Yeah. You might be right. And it wasn't was, this movie like like in the 70s? It looked no, like, this was 84. 84. Really? Mm-hmm. Definitely looked like a 70s something film. Yeah, it has a little bit of that. I oh, think the actors looked like they like would have looked when they were in the seventies. Yes, except for I think Myron uh, Tim Roth. Yeah, he would have been a lot. Younger. He he's get he definitely he has uh he's got the bleach blonde like M- I think I called it Eminem hair when I was watching it. Nice. Um and and the leather jacket and shit. I also love he's got the little koozie thing that he like knocks people out with, and then there's that scene where they're talking about it. He talks about how he made one in like yeah, shop class. Yeah, little kids. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I love that the scene where he goes into the. Tuckeria, or whatever you said. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, just like they're talking mad shit in like another language, and then he just is like laughing at them, like mm-hmm. giving them nod, like, oh, I get it. I look like a jabroni to you. Yep. And then he just fucks their whole world yep. up. He like flips the table and <laughs> destroys runs out. the bar. Yep. Yeah, he just, he's a hooligan. He's a little hoodlum. Yeah. Um, but his character is like, he's one, it's one of those characters that you like, you, you kind of fall for them throughout the film. Yeah. Like at the beginning, he's like the a hole. But by the halfway through the film, you're like, nah, he's just a kid. He keeps on trying to sympathize, too. Like he's yep. trying to talk him out of harming the girl. Right, right. And he definitely, you know, he definitely comes off way more sympathetic 
you know, you realize like, oh, this guy has no idea what he's getting into. This is just what his life has always been. He's always been like a, you know, a hoodlum street kid. So he thinks this is the only future he has. And it's like, again, I think wraps all into that. Those themes of like death and like accepting your fate and shit like that. The ending is one of the most satisfying endings because it was unexpected. Yep. Though I will say... I actually kind of, I I always have this feeling where, like, I like all of the characters so much. It really works. Like, a road trip movie, I feel like, has to make all the characters come together. Yeah. And, and also, it, they never reach their destination. Enough. Yep. Exactly. But by doing that in this film, it makes it, it made it hard for me to actually want Braddock to die. And I think that that works really well. The director's trying to do that. The director made you like Braddock. Mm-hmm. And realize that, like, he was a noble person deep down inside. Like, he couldn't kill this innocent girl. He, he even, like, even though he had to kill this guy, it was, like, out of necessity for his own survival. And it was a job and all that shit. And at the end, it's, like, he almost kind of, like, accepts that, like, he lets her go knowing that, like, there's a good chance that he's going to get caught now. And yeah. he still, you know, he gets, like, the hiking gear and he's trying to sneak through the border and shit. But, like when he's lying there, like after he gets shot by the cops, it's kind of like that moment of like, Oh fuck dude. Like he kind of is like thumbs up. I accept my death. Like Terrence stamp taught me that in this movie, I knew it was going to come. And that's why you're still alive. It's like that moment where they see each other and he's, and then he dies. It's like really, really powerful. Yeah. So yeah. So this is another one. I give this one another almost perfect score. Wow. So that's what I was saying earlier <laughs> for talking about Fury Road, that that's why I can't just say that that one won, because I think all three of these films are way up there this week. So on to the next one. Yeah. What you grinning at, asshole? Sorry. Got nothing to smile about, mate, if you knew. If I knew? He thinks I don't know. If I knew. Where's Mr. Corrigan? London. Have you fellas got a boat stashed away somewhere? No, can't see it. We're travelling north. No, I'd say quick run up through France and then over the drink. That's your only problem, seems to me, getting me over the water. Yeah, well, Corrigan ain't in London, he's in Paris. Myra. Sorry, Mr. Braddock. Myron. It's an unusual name. Myron. Well, Paris. So, across the frontier at... Where? Somewhere quietly. Up through France, should get to Paris five, six in the morning. Quick word with Mr. Corrigan and then... Lights out with... The executioner and his assistant. Yeah, well, if you know it, ain't funny, is it? Isn't it? I'll tell you something I read once, Myron. Parker, Mr. Braddock. Willie Parker. Shut your mouth. Get some practice in, eh?
My movie is the 2015 drama The End of the Tour. It is available on YouTube, Amazon Prime, Google Play, and Vudu for $3, iTunes for $4, and free with a Netflix subscription. I gotta say, there's something basically false about your approach here. What do you mean false? Yeah, I think it's, uh, I think it's part of your whole social strategy. In what way? You still feel you're smarter than other people. Oh, really? Yeah, really? yeah, yeah, but you act yeah. like you're in the, you know, kid's softball game, but holding back his power hitting to try to make it more competitive for the little ones, you know? When? Here. Now. The past three days, it's part of your social strategy. You're a tough room, you know that? It's so obvious, the way you hold back your intelligence to be with people who are, uh, younger than you, or not as agile as you. Yeah, well, that would make me a real asshole, wouldn't it? Well, I don't think writers are smarter than other people. I think they may be more compelling in their stupidity or in their confusion. But I think one of the real ways I have gotten smarter is I don't think I'm that much smarter than other people. <laughs> there are ways in which other people are a lot smarter than me. And I gotta tell you, it makes me feel kind of lonely. What? There's been certain stuff I've told you that's been really true. I think it's been brave of me. No, 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 absolutely. I've written enough of these pieces to know you can write this up a hundred different ways, right. 90 of which I'm going to come across as a monumental asshole. And now it seems to me like your read on this is, wow, what an interesting persona Dave is adopting for the purposes no, no, of this no. interview. That's not what if I'm saying. If we had done this by the mail, if I had access to my library, if I could look stuff up, my dream for this would be for you to write it up, send it to me, and let me rewrite all my quotes, which right. of course you'll never do. <laughs> but if I'm in a room by myself, alone, and I have time, I can be really smart. <laughs> yes, I think I'm bright. I think I'm talented. I'm not trying to sound disingenuous oh, to no? you. I am not an idiot. Yes, I can talk intelligently with you about stuff, but I can't quite keep up with you. <laughs> okay, that is such bullshit. Oh, believe me, I am not doing some sort of like, aw shucks, I'm just in from the country. I'm not a real writer. I'm a regular guy thing. I'm not trying to lay some shit okay, on you. Okay, but you did it again though. You flatter me, but you're just patronizing. I just think that to look across the room and to automatically assume that somebody's less aware or that their interior life is somehow less rich and complicated and acutely perceived as mine makes me not as good a writer. Why? Because it means I'm gonna be performing for some faceless audience instead of trying to have a conversation with a person. If you think that's faux, you know, you think whatever you want. I got a real serious fear of being a certain way and a set, I think, of like real convictions about why I'm continuing to do this, why it's worthwhile, why it's not just an exercise of getting my dick sucked. Okay. This is such a clever tactic on your part. Tactic? What tactic? That's right. Get me a little pissed off, get me a little less guarded, I'm gonna reveal more. Yes, it's true. I treasure my regular guyness. Mm -hmm. I come to think that maybe it's my biggest asset as a writer, that I'm basically just like everybody else. You know what? I'm not doing any kind of faux thing with you, and I'm not gonna say it again. Okay, but that faux thing, what you just said, is an example of the faux thing. You're not willing to risk giving the full you. I don't know if you're a very nice man or not. It's very clear you don't believe a word that I've said. So the end of the tour stars uh, Jesse Eisenberg as David Lipsky, who was a journalist for Rolling Stone. 
and, and a Jason novelist, Siegel, a novelist, Jason Siegel as uh, David Foster Wallace, who was a, a amazing author novelist. who yes. committed suicide. Mm-hmm. Um, it got a 91 certified fresh on Rotten Tomatoes from the critics and an 82 from the audience. What did you think? This movie is really, really good. It it's weird because all right, so like I'll give me give you a little background here. Infinite Jest by David Foster Wallace is a book I have read four or five times. It's one of my favorite books. It is the hardest thing I've ever read in my life. It is complicated and enjoyable at the same time in a weird, but complicated and enjoyable to a level that's hard to describe. Now, just to refresh my memory, is that the book in the movie that he read that made him go, I need to interview this author? Yes, yes, that is. And it is the book that made David Foster Wallace famous, made him a thing, basically. And it's like, I won't try to describe what it's about is really hard. Um, But it's a thousand pages plus and it's really, the, I've heard someone describe it like this. It's a three-pronged approach by Wallace uh, about his three, like, I guess, like his um, ways of looking at the world or or something like that. Because there's basically, the book is about uh, uh, this thing called the entertainment, essentially. Right. Which is a, kind of like a TV show that you, it provides so much pleasure that you watch it until you die. And obviously from what he talks about in the movie, you can see that he's that's, actually addicted to right. But that's, it is part of his, um, his ethos or whatever, how he looks at the world. Um, and there's also themes of addiction and alienation yeah, and, uh, feeling like you're, you're different. And, but that there's someone there who understands that. And the way that Eisenberg's character describes it in the film is perfect he says something along the lines of like i feel like would you he he asked him a question that's like would you say that someone reading your book is like meeting you or getting inside your head and that's exactly what it feels like reading it it feels like you're going inside someone else's head and they're with you they're with you the whole time that's like without reading it you can't really understand exactly what that means but it's like so that's a long way of saying David Foster Wallace is, it was really, it really near and dear to my heart. So when this movie came out, I was like, not, I didn't really know what to think about it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I didn't see it and I'm, I'm kicking myself now that I didn't see it because this movie is really, really good. It's very sad. Let me get that right out of the way. It depressed the shit out of me, especially with all of, that's why I gave that whole background like on him and how I feel about him. Really, really depressing. The whole movie frames it for you. Like, the very beginning is he committed suicide. So you know he's a ghost, yeah. essentially. Um, but it is engaging, and it, it, feels, it feels like these two guys, not just as characters, but as actors, formed a real bond. And I actually listened to an interview with Jason Siegel about the movie, and he was like, me and Jesse he's one of the few co-stars that I've ever worked with that I consider to be like a really good friend. And then I'm still friends with, and he talks about how they would like get up in the morning. Mm. They were staying at the same hotel in different rooms, but in the same hotel, they'd meet up, they'd drive to the to shoot together, talking about stuff. Like they were literally doing what's happening in the movie, 
Wow. With each other as people and stuff. And like they the end of the day after doing all that, acting all day, we're together. They'd go home, drive back, talk about what happened, talk about stuff, go get food. Like Yeah. So I think that shines through. Their chemistry in this movie is like amazing. I think what's what's uh crazy is he has been pretty much typecasted into this Which he uh, Jesse Eisenberg Ooh, right, yeah. as a very specific type of character. And I think that it's, it, it never fit more than, than yeah. now. Uh, every character he's ever played is the character he accuses Jason Siegel of being correct. Which is like highly intelligent, but trying to tone it down. Mm-hmm. Uh, whereas in, in every movie, Jesse Eisenberg is, he's extremely intelligent, but he's a likable person right. who's good looking and endearing but is super insecure about how intelligent he is and how normal right. people view him. That's every movie. Right. He has like a, a trouble with women or uh, people liking him or acceptance. And he, and this is the second real character and re- like somebody he's portraying that's in a biopic type situation. Where mm-hmm. it's, and, and then you look at these people in real life, they're the same person, the, the yeah. founder of Facebook. For anyone, this is how I always describe it to my girlfriend when I'm talking about it. For anyone who doesn't know, he is Zuckerberg. He played Zuckerberg. Yeah. If you don't know who Jesse Eisenberg he, is. He legit plays that character in everything I yeah. can think of. He's he's just like that in Zombieland. Oh, yeah, totally. He's just like that in Batman v yeah, Superman. I was going to say, Lex Luthor. You, you know, know what I mean? Like, that's Lex Luthor's whole story is yeah. insecurities and being a rich man and being highly intelligent and not being able to be the normal guy. Right. Well, he, he also... Another thing that's interesting, I actually went out and and found uh, there's audio on YouTube of the actual tapes. Oh wow! And he way better. No, tapes, I mean for anybody listening, that's how the movie's set up. When he dies, right. he he records a bunch of tapes talking about. Right. Well, he yeah he um basically yeah the setup is basically he worked for Rolling Stone. He's doing an interview with with Wallace on his book tour, and so yeah he had all these these tapes of their conversations and. Then Rolling Stone never, and the movie doesn't really mention this, I don't think, but uh, I looked this, I found this out later looking it up. Um, Rolling Stone didn't even run the piece, so he just took the stuff and put it in the shoebox. And then when David Foster Wallace took his own life, he started working on a book that would then, this is what the, this movie is based on, that book. Um, but in listening to the tapes, Jason Siegel's great in this movie, but he doesn't capture the, the vocal quality of Wallace's voice. I don't think that that's a big deal because most people don't know what he sounded like. So that's fine. But I will say as a positive to, to uh, Eisenberg, he nailed the way that Lipsky speaks. Like I was listening to him act this actual guy speak. Mm-hmm. And I was like, cause I made a note that was like, what, why is he Jesse Eisenberg ta- is talking weird in this movie. There's a, he's like the way he's talking had like a certain quality. It was like halting at the ends and ends of sentences and stuff. And then I'm listening to the actual guy he's playing, and he sounds exactly like that. And I was like, oh, my God, that's brilliant. You yeah. know, it's not necessary, but I think it does help with a performance, maybe just for – if it's even if it's just for the actor, to really get inside that person's head. So yeah. um, I think that this movie, like, uh, it, it's, a, it's a little bit weird because in watching Jason Segel, he's – he so gets the character he's playing that yeah. he doesn't need to do like an impression of David Foster Wallace. Right. And it feels like honestly, and again, I mentioned that interview I watched with him. He was like, he he said when he got the script, he was like, this is cruel. 
That's the first thing he thought. He was like, no one, no one's going to take me seriously. Like he didn't believe in himself when he was making this movie. And that is almost what's perfect about him playing David Foster Wallace. The character, <laughs> the whole idea of who exactly, he is. Exactly. Yes. And so also with him, you know, playing a ghost is the way I put it. Um, it creates this sort of like sadness to him that, you, you know, knowing the inevitable fate, you know, knowing also that the other guy like is, is going to live on, you know? So yeah. it, it has this weird quality to it. Um, my favorite part of it though, was the, 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 where he really lays out his philosophy when mm -hmm. he's talking about masturbation yeah. And then he starts talking about, you know, screens and television and eventually death. That speech is amazing. And he delivers it like perfectly. He yeah. totally gets what he's doing. And I think it's funny because I, I was thinking this and then I watched this interview and he was like, I didn't know what I was doing. He, he walked out of it saying, like, I did the best I could. And I think I did a good job, but like, I don't know. And so to just that, he didn't even realize how much he nailed the character. And that's beautiful um also it had a pavements song gold sounds in it which i really liked so really <laughs> I, pavements give it, was, I didn't even catch that yeah it was like two seconds they were like one of the scenes when they were i think it was when they might have been when they were with the girls yeah in the car it was one of the scenes i mean a bunch in the car but it was one of the scenes in the car it's on the radio for like two seconds and i was like oh word pavement nice yeah it also so it had have uh, really been on the radio though no so it had to have been like a no ooh, actually no it could have that was 1996 is when the tour took place. Yeah. And I believe that album came out in 1995. Right, but radio play? Yeah, I mean, Pavement was a big college band. Okay. It, or maybe, well, I said radio, but I mean, it could have had a tape. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like, I feel yeah. like it was probably yeah. a tape or something. Yeah, I just, yeah, it was playing in the car. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's not Radiohead. Um, I mean, yeah, but I, not to get too in and off talk about Pavement. <laughs> I do, Pavement got some radio play. And oh, honestly, yeah. that was Gold Sounds was probably the song that would have gotten... That would have been on the radio. Yeah, mainstream radio play. I was young. <laughs> so. Me too. I was 10 in 1996, so. I was 9. <laughs> no, that doesn't make any sense. You weren't born in 86. Yeah, I was born in 86. You're older than me? Yeah. October 2nd, 1986. Wow. Yeah. That just blew my mind. Why, why? I definitely, I don't know why in my head I thought you were like yeah, 28. <laughs> Everybody does because I have this I have this boyish look to my face. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Really. I think it's because we're all. I still uh, get, dude, I still get carded. I'm like the old man. Me and Zach Fazio are like the 31 year olds in a group yeah. full of like 28 to 29, <laughs> sometimes 25. I'm even older. <laughs> yeah. I'm older than dirt. Wow. Um, yeah, so this movie was really heavy. Um, and I think they even there was even a line where like someone was like, "That's heavy in the movie," and I was like, "Yeah, you guys don't even know." <laughs> um, and like, uh, oh, what was it? Oh, okay. I there's one nitpick I have about this movie though, and I just gotta throw this in because I wrote it down because I this made me mad. So there's a scene the scene where they're hanging out with the chicks and they're driving around in the car with the the females the females yeah the girls. Um, who are like his friends from college. Um, they're driving and uh, the girls are in the front and Jesse and Jason are in the backseat and Jesse's smoking a cigarette and he has his window down. Yeah. Her window is like all the way down and she asks him to close his window because it's cold out. And I was just like, continuity there, man. Like make sure yeah. that her window's that closed. Yeah. Um, 
But really, other than that, there's not a whole lot I could pick out about this movie that I didn't like. I think one of my favorite things was how they both got jealous of each other at one point. Yeah. But they didn't really address it. They didn't address it to each other. Like Jason Segel saying, like, leave her alone and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. That, like... Be a good guy. Yeah. Yeah. It's, like, blatantly, like, it's got nothing... It's blatantly jealousy. Yes, I think But, like, he's trying to come off like he was concerned for her. Right. I heard heard a, a thing... Uh, where it was described as like Jason Segel or well David Foster Wallace is the guy who has what you would think is everything but wants more. Right. It isn't fulfilled, which is another thing that comes through in his work, especially in Infinite Jest a lot. And then Lipsky is the guy who wants what he has. Mm-hmm. You know, so there's a gel, but but in a way, Wallace also wants what Lipsky has, which is to go back to anonymity. Yeah, and being normal. Right. So, like, there's this weird sort of jealous... They're both jealous of each other for different reasons. I also think that scene was, like, kind of your classic, like... uh, He doesn't really understand how to, like... Well, yeah, exactly. He doesn't understand how to tell... Like, if if he had gone in there... (laughs) Excuse me. If he had gone in there and been like, Hey, man, before they met with these women, and been like, look, like... I just want you to know, like, this is my ex-girlfriend and, like, I still have feelings for her and stuff. Like, he didn't do that. So he takes a perceived slight, which is, I mean, I do think that that Jesse Eisenberg is flirting with her. Blatantly. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, it's like he takes it, he didn't really establish ever that, that that was like a, hey, man, like, don't go there sort of thing. Like, if you do that, it's going to piss me off. Like, and I have that with people like that I used to date. Like there's other ones that I'd be like, I don't give a shit about them, but there's a few where I'd be like, if it was my good, a person that I was like with, and I think that they've, even though they're not friends, like they are, they have become friends in this Mm. time. And him saying that, like, be a good guy. I think it's more like about how Wallace has always felt like alone and that like people can just take stuff from him. He's definitely a guy that like, you feel like you could walk over. So it's like, he feels like, like, dude, you're my friend. You, you want to like, or if you want to be my friend, you can't cross these certain lines, but he hasn't established those lines. Yeah. And he hasn't really been crystal clear with what he's right. saying. So I think it just shows like how he is very disconnected from the world and from other people. But, uh, he's still, you know, a brilliant mind and shit but he wants to be i don't think it's even that he wants to be seen as something you know like we you mentioned it earlier that scene where and actually it's in the trailer this week where eisenberg is like kind of calling him out he's like dude i'm not doing it i'm not putting on anything like this is who i want to be and i'm really not okay with being a certain way he doesn't say being seen a certain way i don't think i think he actually says being a certain way mm-hmm. like he isn't so much about image even though he's concerned about his image, he just he just doesn't want someone to like take what he's saying the wrong way. He's right. and he keeps going over. He's like, no, don't write it like that. Don't make me seem like I just want to get fucked. Don't make me seem like this. Don't make me seem like that. Like, you know, the whole question about the bandana. Like, don't. He immediately he was like, wait, people noticed the the bandana. <laughs> right. Didn't even know it was a thing. Now he's like, now if I take it off, exactly. Because like, yeah, you said something. Exactly. Exactly. So. I definitely feel like he's just trapped in this vortex of everything going around him. And Eisenberg really can't see that until it's him in the future. After, yeah. after 
he's killed himself that's when i think he really goes back and starts to realize like how important that moment in his life was and he even goes on to say that's the best conversation i ever had you know and like i'd really like to read the book now because I, I, the book goes even further into a lot of stuff they talked about would you recommend as somebody who's done both uh to the listeners would you recommend reading the book first or watching the movie first Oh uh, wait, reading Infinite Jest. Mm-hmm. Oh no, go go go! Don't don't try that yet. Trust me, go go watch the movie. And if you're gonna read Infinite Jest, just be prepared for a mountain. <laughs> it's a it's like nothing else. Like, in if you if you have read War and Peace, then I would say go read Infinite Jest because then you you can do it because it's that it's that complicated. Maybe even yeah. more complicated of a novel so like i i just it's hard for me to suggest i would suggest somebody read an excerpt first because you're it's a very like it's a okay it's a book that has footnotes Mm -hmm. and end notes and end notes for footnotes like there's a there's yeah it's complicated it's definitely a brilliant mind that is thinking on like a much higher level (laughs) But the story itself is, it's like, dude, the story itself, part of it takes place at a tennis academy. Like I mentioned, there's, there's the whole thing about entertainment that, like, it's a funny book. It's definitely very funny. He's, in he, that comes out, I think, in the movie that he was a very, very funny guy. And he understood, you know, how to get a laugh. He knew how to write to get in a, in a comedic way. Yeah. But, like, it's not like a book you can just sit down and read. You really, really, like, I know people who have read it five times and never finished it like they've tried to read it five times you know and right. can't get through the whole thing because it's there's dude there's parts of it that are pages and pages of just like minutiae about the rules of this overly complicated tennis game it's like a book that like forces you to like really try you know so i would say go see the movie regardless of if you ever want to read the book because the movie on its own is so good. I don't think you even know, need to know anything about Infinite Jest because the movie does a great way of explaining like what the themes of the book are because they're the themes of his own ethos and 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 his own experience. So I also give this movie like 100%. Jesus. All three of them this week, man. All, right. All three of them. So that's going to be a tough one for you to call on the verdict. Yeah. Speaking of the verdict, when we return, we'll find out whose movie is better. Go back and keep my advent to yourself because it's nothing I don't like. Is it a crisis or a foreign change? When it's you know, it, it's interesting too because in those scenes, I, I'm thinking specifically of when you guys go to the. There's a scene where they go to the Mall of America, yeah. and then later Jesse's character goes, "Let me, let me take you to a nice dinner. I think you've earned this." Yeah, yeah. And it cuts to a scene of them walking out of a McDonald's. Yeah. <laughs> Um, and I kept thinking, like, here's this character who's come from New York who wants this fame so badly. He wants to be the literary it kid. And then here's the literary it kid who just wants to watch, like, bad TV yeah. and binge on McDonald's and eat junk food. Like, he's so steeped in this Americana. And it's this weird kind of, like, country mouse, city mouse thing that goes on with you guys that I just think is so incredibly fascinating. Yeah, it's a really interesting thing because you, I, I think, you know, when you're dealing with some of the stuff we know that um, David Foster Wallace was dealing with, it's your job to manage your feelings. 
on a daily basis and sort of construct your environment so that you feel okay. And I think, and we talk about it a bit in the movie, but in New York, for me, a place like LA, those aren't designed to make you feel good about yourself. You're, I mean, I, I live in a similar place, but you're surrounded by billboards reminding you that you are not enough. That's what a, advertising is. He says it. He says, advertising is creating an anxiety relieved by purchase. <laughs> and if you think about it, that's what's happening. Like, oh man, that dishwasher goes fast. Um, <laughs> Think about like what I'd read with that extra time. You know, this is like, everything's fine. And being in a place that reminds you everything's fine, I think is a really valuable thing. Yeah. You know, I moved out of LA, I moved to a town where everything's fine. And it's amazing how quickly you realize that when you're not surrounded by messages telling you that everything is not fine. All right, welcome back to The Verdict. So, uh, I guess the way we've been doing it is I count them, what was it, two, three, one, I think, last week in a couple weeks, so let's just keep doing that. Uh, That's our new our new trope. Our new trope. Minutia. Um, <laughs> minutia. Um, so, this week I kind of, actually, can you, you, how about you go first? Me go first? Yeah, you go first this week. Oh, man. Um, okay. Uh, number two, I will say, damn. Right. All right. Well, I'll go first in the sense that this is why I was waiting. I'm going for a three-way tie this week. I think all <laughs> three of these movies are better. If I had to pick one, I'd pick my own. The hit. Yeah. But I really can't. I can't decide. I'm really having a lot of trouble deciding which where I'd put them. And even if I was gonna put them in order, it would be like it would be like picking what the best piece of gold or ruby. Oh, pick one of these rubies. Which one's the best? Well, they're all rubies. Like, I don't know. It's really hard for me. If I if I was forced into it, I'd probably say the hit number one, then uh, end of the tour number two, and Mad Max number three. Because the end of the tour affected me more than Mad Max did. But that's kind of unfair to Mad Max because I think, like I said earlier, Mad Max is one of the best action movies I've ever seen. And I love action movies. Yeah. So, yeah, I'm kind of going for a three-way tie. But if I had a gun to my head, it would be the hit, end of the tour, Mad Max. All right. My number two, the hit. My number three. The end of the tour. Ooh. I would say number one is Mad Max still, Fury Road. Wow. Yeah. Audience. Crazy. So I'll give it to him. We'll, we'll say the audience won that one then. Again. Because yeah. you did a three-way dance. <laughs> yeah, three-way dance. EC dub. Triple threat. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, I'll, I'll go with that. I mean, again, I don't think any of these movies really... Th this was the, the least amount of, like, detractive stuff we had to say, I think, this week. Yeah. It was mostly, like pretty much 100% good. And I think all three of these movies kind of... 
or at least contenders to to reach that untouchable status of just you know films that I don't think you you I wouldn't change anything basically. Yeah, all very well done. Mm-hmm. Um, but I definitely could separate them by like one or two points. Yeah, each. Okay, so it was easy for me to do on that front. Awesome. Mad Max is just I don't know. It's just like the way you came in hot and ready talking about your adrenaline for it. It was that it just it's so good. Yeah. Oh yeah. Um, and then I've never seen the hit, and it was it, like it did more. I think I don't know if it's because I've already seen the end of the tour. Maybe but it definitely it meant more to me this right. week. I thought it was like it's more in the back of my mind when I think right. of stuff. I think they're also like they're varying degrees of film like you know you mad max like said is all pumped up yeah action the hit is kind of more like comedy drama mm-hmm. sort of thing and then there's even though there's a bit of comedy in the tour the end of the tour is like definitely a film that like makes you like sit down and and like listen a lot to what's going on you yeah. know so i think that like they're they're i'd have to be in a different like i'd have to be in a different mood to watch each movie but I think I think that all of them just have qualities that are consistent with what we usually, you know, the things that we usually say are like the best parts of the movies. Mm-hmm. This film hit all of those really well, and it didn't really. None of them did anything. I mean, my biggest attractions from a lot of them were just more like plot things here and there, or one little tiny thing that I was like, I noticed that and I didn't like it. But it's not like that ruins the movie or even does anything to it really. It's just like, ah, you forgot to put the window up, Yeah, you know, or you didn't explain to Morton Joe enough or whatever, <laughs> you know, you didn't explain the, the my, Oh, actually not to get doing it, but in, in the hit, because I didn't really say what I didn't like about it in the hit, the, the scene with the Australian guy, I thought it was dumb that he came, he left, then comes right back to kill him. It was like, wait, what? I think it well, works. He came back because he wanted to check to see if, he had a gut yeah. feeling. Yeah. He's like, he definitely is right. Yeah, I, I think he was supposed that. to be like, yeah, oh, I know he's, he's going to do police. this. Yeah. But, so, yeah, there, I think that Mad Max, I'll give it to it, though. I think that that one, I think the listeners picked a film that, especially for road movies, um, you know, it's, it's so interesting. It's so engaging. Mm. And it's not too long. It's not too short. Like, it, it, most movies of its level or of its, you know, of the of major studio movies don't deserve to be this good. Yeah. And so it kicked the ass of movies that I really like that are made by big studios. Like I, I said this to you, I believe off the air, I think it's better than a lot of the, like the Marvel movies when it comes to action films, you know, mm-hmm. in, in a lot of, you know, Transformers or any of these other series of like action movie type series that they've been trying to do recently. This is the only one that's worked the way the classic action movies used to on audiences. So that's a huge plus. All right. So this week's uh, verdict is that the audience's movie is better. So that's three in a row, I think, for them. Maybe even four. uh, Catch us next week when we talk about revenge films. Yes. Thanks for listening. The movie of the week. Presenting the world premiere of an original motion picture produced especially for ABC. Tonight on the Movie of the Week.
There's a speed trap in Clarksburg. A ghost town. Where no one outruns the law. A man. A chance for people to be what they've never been. Until the California kid comes to town. I want you to know I know who you are and what you're doing here. Vic Morrow. Martin Sheen. Brian Keith. Juliet Prowse. William Wyndham. Second chance. score big there myself. And we know I'm mostly gonna be doing a slot. What we want and the future is certain. Yeah, yeah I'm hoping to Give do some sluts too. Yeah. I have a lot of sluts in Las Vegas. Oh, there's so many sluts who won't know where to begin. <laughs> Whoa. He, he put it, this chick is pretty cool. He, he says there's gonna be tons of sluts in Las Vegas. Young men who are so well mannered. Yeah, <laughs> I'm gonna have money and a big screen TV, and there's gonna be sluts everywhere. King of the road, third box car, midnight train. It's gonna roll. To fasten your seatbelt, insert the free end into the coupling. If you are seated at in third. Hi, can I help you with that? Uh, did you like do that thing with my belt again? Every hand out, every town. If locked, it ain't locked when no one's around. I say, I'm probably gonna make out with her first before we get to the Hey, I got a beer. Want fun? I am Cordelia! Get the hell out of the cockpit! You fun. King of the road. That's the kind of car that I'm getting. Yeah? Don't count on it. Why not? Because the Volkswagen Beetle was used by the Nazis. Nazi companies were driving around it. So, don't drive it, I will. Dad, I have to go. No, you don't. Yes, I do. I really do. You just stopped. I couldn't go. That thing's too broke. Well, can't you hold it in? I can't. It's an emergency. 
Honey, there's a restaurant. No, that's three miles out to us, and that's three miles back. We lose ten minutes. So what? Your daughter has to stop. She needs to walk out of here. All right, Jason, Jason, just look back there for an empty jar. A jar? Girls don't pee in jars. Oh, all right, sorry. Jason, we're going to need a jar and a funnel. Dad, I don't have to pee. It's number two. Sorry, I can't stop. Dad, I'm prairie dogging it. What the hell does that mean? You know, like when a prairie dog sticks his head in and out of the ground. Ow! 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 I do not want to picture that. I hate you! I hate you! All right, nobody look. I can't wait to get on the road again. 